Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com. It's Monday, April 24th. We are wrapping up spring football for Notre Dame, the Blue Gold game on Saturday. One of 15 practices of the spring. I throw that out as a reminder that we will talk in terms of what we saw on Saturday, certainly, but put in the context of the entire spring. And there was, with Tim O'Malley and Pete Sampson here, there was a lot to like, certainly individually, I think probably starting with, you know, the quarterbacks and the wide receivers. Yeah, that was actually the, the good news for me is I was going to start with some of the guys on defense. Um, but if you're looking at for the whole spring, and certainly on Saturday, they have a backup quarterback now. He's, he's proven what Brian Kelly thought about him, at least in, the, in our in our looks. He's an accurate guy. I like that he can make plays outside the pocket. I think the drawback is if he had to play all year, he would have to make plays outside the pocket. I'm talking about Ian Book. I don't think it would... You can probably game plan for him over the long haul, but as we kind of assumed going in the spring, we felt they could win a game with Ian Book. They could mm-hmm. probably win more than one with Ian Book, pending the opponent. Um, and it's all about Brandon Wimbush, however. Yeah, I mean, look, at the first practice when I watched Ian Book, I couldn't tell the difference between him and Montgomery Van Gordon. I agree. With that. Um, <laughs> now, now you definitely can. So, you know, that's a that box was checked with Wimbush. I think he's been pretty good from start to finish. Uh, when he's running, I think he's very good. When he's throwing, he's just okay to kind of good. Um, he's got some, he's got a lot of ability. I mean, talking to people around the program on Sunday, they said, look, the way this game was set up was that we want to put Wimbush out there so he could succeed, fail, whatever, just throw it a lot. And if, I mean, if you look at the sort of play selection in the first half when Wimbush was in the game, and you count sacks as passes, basically it was three to one pass to run. That's not going to be the offense in the fall. Um, so keep that in mind. But Saturday was basically a vehicle for Brandon Wimbush to make mistakes that he can then learn from over the course of the summer. He has some tape to look at, and Kelly and Long and Reese can say, like, okay, what did you see here? What were you thinking there? And Wimbush can be like, well, I was thinking that, so I did this. And then he can correct that and move forward. So, it's, I mean, Saturday was, look, it was all just a vehicle for Brandon Wimbush to, to get a little bit better. Yeah, I think the difficult thing to assess is, you know, he knows he's not going to get hit, so he can stand in there and make those the throws that he did. Uh, in a game situation, is he going to stand in there and make that throw, or is he going to, you know, pull out of there and, and, uh, and burst up field, which he's very capable of doing. There was one run, and, you know, the, the yardage of any of the quarterback runs was distorted because they were blowing the whistle. But he, he, he had one run where he was credited with six yards, and he got out in the open field, and he looked like, to me, not like a running back in the open field because it was kind of long, exaggerated cuts and moves, but like a whiteout in the open field darting through the secondary. So he was impressive. I would say he's more, uh, I don't know exactly what you said, Pete, pretty good to very good as a passer. I think he's more than that. Uh, I, you know, I think long-term 
Certainly he's more than that. I thought throughout the entire spring, his accuracy was very, very good. I asked him the other day about, you know, with the big receivers, and he says, yeah, you want to miss high, you know, when you do miss. And I think we saw that throughout the spring. Which so, is unfortunate, though, if it's over the middle. But it got him picked off on a – Well, not necessarily high yeah. over the middle, yeah. but high yeah, when it's a one-on-one <laughs> yeah. where the receiver's breaking it out toward the sideline is, is what I have in mind or what I, the picture I have in my mind. But, uh, you know, the receivers, Boykin can certainly continued what we saw throughout the spring. I think that's real encouraging. Claypool – came on as as uh, as the scrimmage went on. Elise Mack, um, you know, he's a wide-out tight end, so it gives you that combination and makes for for tough matchups. It, it was a, I mean, it was a good day for the skill position people. Josh Adams, great, great jump cut, and then powered through some tackles on that 25-yard touchdown run. Here's what I, I would say about Wimbush um, before we move out of the rest of the team. When it comes to his accuracy, I would no longer describe short passes as an extension of the running game because I don't think he's accurate enough to make them an extension of the running game. Um, he is going to have, I think, a very productive year throwing the ball 20 yards and, and beyond because I think that's the way the offense is going to set up. But I don't think he's a quarterback who can win you a game based purely on accuracy and dinking and dunking his way up and down the field. He could still be very, very good this year, and I think that he will. But I, I, it's just a it's a different kind of quarterback than what they've had in the past. Well, it's a, that's a good point, though, because it's a it, you know, dinking and dunking and throwing to running backs is a different throw with a different arm slot, and it, you know, it's it's different. And we saw that one occasion where somebody got in his passing lane. It was a real ugly sidearm throw that he threw into the ground, and that probably speaks to what you're saying, Pete, because that is a different throw, and it's not the same as, you know stretching his arm out and throwing a bullet 25 yards downfield, which we know he can do that. As long as they do what we believe they'll do, what Chip Long said he's going to do, establish a running game, run the ball more than pass it, it's okay to not have an extension of the running game. Because I can't stand that anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I'm happy to see that go away. I would prefer you run and throw the ball down the field. I I mean, I do love what they're doing with the tight ends. You have that move tight end. And you have so many options off that. He can be a lead blocker. You can throw it to him. He can lead the way for the running back coming out of the backfield and throwing him the football. I felt like Wimbush, early on at least, struggled to just release it to that open tight end to start in those plays. Like, he keeps looking down yeah. first. Yeah, well, I, that's yeah. first read. And yeah. then that second read, there was the the one instance where Book, I mean, I think Doug Flutie pointed out, it was pretty obvious. He looked right. He read it. It wasn't there. He turned to his left. He knew where Wisher was. He knew Wisher was going to be there. And that's going to be a nice safety valve, including Elze Mack. Ten of the catches were by tight ends, 25 were by wideouts, and six were by running backs. And I don't think Josh Adams had one of the catches, and he had 21 catches last season. So you have a trio of running backs there that are very capable pass receivers. Dexter yeah. Williams looked good. I'm going to go ahead and keep saying it from now yeah. on. He looked good <laughs> enough for me to bring his name back. The one-year no, moratorium is yeah, over. It's over. It only lasted six months. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, I mean, they've got... I think Dexter Williams used the term three-headed monster, and I would not go that far considering Tony Jones has never played in a game and Dexter Williams' his career is based on the Syracuse game. But they've got a lot of ability in those yeah. three guys, and especially if you're going to do... I mean, there were some sets where it's two tight ends under center. There were some sets where there were two running backs out there at once, Josh Adams and Tony Jones. Um, that's... Look, there's a lot of good things you could do there, and they they barely showed any of it. I mean, including the... 
fullback slash tight end Alize Jones Brock Wright stuff, which is I don't know what you're supposed to do with that to, in terms of defensively. I I just look at this offense and I think if I was a linebacker or a safety, I would hate playing against it. So I, well, full credit to you, Chip Long. If you're and if you're a corner and you have that, you know that run pass option where you fake the read and and Wimbush sprints out, and now you have to make a decision whether you stay with a receiver or you break to make a tackle. That that's impossible. Yeah. I do want to I want to correct a mistake that I made in the instant analysis after the game. And I, and I still do, however, think that the offensive line shouldn't have been getting beat as often as they did. But it wasn't. I mean, it wasn't a vanilla defensive front. Mike Elko, over the course of four quarters, threw a lot at that offensive line. We saw a, a middle blitz from Martini, which he timed well and found the perfect gap. We know what Tranquil can do off the edge. Dalen Hayes is is legit. I mean, that's a, that's a big-time player there that you're going to count on a lot. And I thought Jay Hayes played you know, well up front also. And I think that makes Brian Kelly's comment that we, we will handle that in a game with game planning, preparation, and changing protections less crazy. <laughs> it sounded like he was making a total excuse for yeah. the, the, every sack that was happening, but that's totally right. I mean, he Brandon Wimbush was not checking to different protections when I, I think they just Correct. want to see how you right. handle yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was, goes back to what Pete yeah. said originally. Yeah, it was, it was the third play of the game yeah. where I think he runs like sort of a read option handoff to Josh Adams and they just leave Dale and Hayes alone. Yeah. And Dale Hayes like, okay, yeah. Yeah. Tommy Kramer's doubling on somebody with Alex Bars for no reason. Um, that's something where I think in the future, hopefully... Brandon Rose should be like, hey, let's slide the protection. You to the sure right. that wasn't Smythe with Kramer double teaming? Maybe we're Pretty talking about. To, yeah, we could be talking about different yeah, plays. We could be talking I mean, about there are a few plays. where Dalen Hayes, Hayes like Dalen Hayes, is a pretty explosive athlete who was made to look superhuman yeah. by the offensive line not blocking him on some. On some and there plays. were I, in the tail of the tape today. You know, I, I tried to go through each of the sacks and why they happened. Yeah. Some some were just well timed right. blitzes and, and executed well. Uh, One time book. Stepped up into the pocket and boom, a defender was right on him. Um, you know, I, I do. Mike McGlinchey has to be better and more consistent. I know it's just, I know it's just a blue goal game, but Jay Hayes, you know, Jay Hayes had had his way with him a few times, and I just don't think that especially on the sack. Yeah, I mean, that was I a just, nice move. Yeah, did he get that? That was he late on the snap? He was definitely late off the snap, McGlinchey. But I wonder if he didn't have yeah. the snap count. But you know, lost. I mean, Jay Hayes feels like he's a better pass rusher. He's using his hands better, so that's a good sign. But I just didn't think he had a real consistent game. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to jump into every topic that's asked yeah. in our questions, and so I'm going to avoid what I was going to say here now and address it later. But you know, I don't. I don't think the. The offensive line deserved maybe as much criticism as I offered right after the game when you when you sit down and that's the problem with with what we have to do after a game we have to evaluate it from the naked eye and we don't have the you know it's a it's a better view many times sitting in front of your television and you need to see it again to fully comprehend it all. I think for the purpose of since so many fans this is their first look um, at the team if you just look at the blue goal game I thought Drew Tranquil looked great Niles Morgan looked remarkably physical. Nick Watkins did a nice job covering. I mean, he's he likes himself some Nick Watkins, too, out there. Nick Watkins did a good job, though, in, in one-on-one. Um, Dalen Hayes, as you said, looks superhuman. Yeah. And uh, an extension of what we saw previously. Boykin is going to be productive. Mack is a tough cover. And I like the running backs in the game. I like Isaiah Robertson at safety. He, he may not know what he's doing. That's why he's not further in the mix. Uh, but he's active. He's aggressive. He's not hesitant. He's physical. 
I think there's a good football player there. He just needs to get a little experience. Yeah, I Drew Tranquil was, I, I thought, the best player. Just maybe just the best player out there. I mean, the amount of production they're going to get out of him this this season is... Look, a, a coach told me a week and a half ago that he was going to be All-American good. And I was like, okay, all right, yeah, sure. I, I mean, I, I know we all like him. He's a great guy and everything. <laughs> um, but then watching the practice on Wednesday and seeing the game yeah. on Saturday, you're like, okay, yep, yeah, I'll... You know, I, I might buy that. One time they lined him up in Will, and Will linebacker and uh, uh, Martini was off the edge, and that was the play where uh, Tranquil darted through and dumped Tony Jones for a six-yard loss. So you have so – there's real versatility there, and I think he does a great job of disguising what he's going to to uh, going to do until the ball is snapped. You know what I like most about Tranquil is if you just would have read Irish Illustrated in 2014, you'd have moved him where we had him at linebacker back then. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's – why, yeah, that's why we like him so much. Uh, and I just, let's wrap up segment one. The kicker, as as Tim asked after the game, I think correctly, Sam Kohler looks like a competent kicker, which may be significant in the fall. He does, and he looked competent all spring, yeah. or at least the opportunities that we saw him. He's he's calm, he's relaxed, but yet he gets a good break on the ball. He anticipates the snap. It's not a real complicated uh, kick. He gets good trajectory. He kicked the line drive through the uprights from 48, 46 yards, but at least it was true and it was online. The 42-yarder was perfect. He's a solid kicker. And again, we, we, you know, we should have asked about Brian Kelly about Justin Yoon before we walked out of there on Saturday, but we have no idea. I mean, he didn't practice all spring. What exactly is the extent of his injury that he wouldn't practice all spring? And you don't know what Jonathan Doerr can do. So Sam Kohler... This is what I'm impressed with. Walks into Notre Dame Stadium. I yeah, know it's just a blue goal game, but walks into Notre Dame Stadium, kicks five extra points, and hits a 42 and 46 yard field goal. Meanwhile, Tyler Newsom is tiptoeing around like he's catching snaps on a sheet of ice, and he has 109 career punts. I mean, I. I he was I, your reigning blue goal game MVP, too. Yeah. Been, uh, yeah I, you know, I just. Uh, it's hard to follow up as MVP. I don't, I don't, very I don't, few players repeat. I don't want. I'm sorry for turning that into a, a criticism of Newsom, but Kohler went in there to Nordham Stadium in front of 20,000 people and performed really well. Yeah, we say it's just the blue goal game. It's just the blue goal game to us and to Niles Morgan and to Josh Adams, but it certainly wasn't to Sam Kohler. I mean, that was usually yeah, the was most crunch time he had to be involved. Yeah, he had to be involved. Yeah, great in. job. Yeah, no question. All right, segment two, burning up reports, questions from our readers, next Irish Illustrated Insider. Welcome back to segment two of Irish Illustrated Insider, burning up the boards. Our first question is from Madcap Lep. Pretty blunt. Is this team good enough to win nine games this year? Yes. Um... I don't know, did he want more? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're, they're good enough. I think that they're, they can score, they can win nine games on offense and the defense just being okay. You know, to go beyond that, I don't, I think you can sort of like muddle your way around to nine wins. Be 10 wins or more, you actually have to be legitimately good in all phases. And I, I don't think they're going to be good enough in you, all phases. You mean regular season? We should go regular oh, season. Oh, yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah, I'm, never, I'm not it's talking no about it. No fun to be Rutgers in the Pennsylvania. Yeah, 10, 10 is a big number with Georgia and, you know, the five road games where Notre Dame has struggled and, you know, Miami being one of those and USC at home and Stanford. I, you know, that, that's a big number. Is nine possible? Certainly. 
But I think it all it comes back to what we've said 20 times this spring, and D-line and safety. If D-line and safety can get straightened out, absolutely. This can then then you can think about pushing for for a tenth uh, a tenth win. But you know, I, I think maybe we are a little jumping the gun a little bit as far as the offense and just assuming that they're going to you know push 40 points. Per game, you guys said that on the last podcast. They're going to break the all-time record. He said that. I said that. No, he said they're going to score more points. Right. Than O'Malley's that. owning that. Yep. Uh, more yeah. points per game than any team. Yeah. Yeah. I I said in my in, in my history uh, of the world. No, do more than Thursday. <laughs> in Thursday thoughts, I said that they could yeah. move past Kelly's high for a year, which is thirty-four. Do you guys think that um, the Vegas win total for Notre Dame will be eight and a half or seven and a half going into the year? And it is regular season. I believe that's regular season only. I would put it at eight if I was them. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, you could do it that way. I think it'll be eight two, and I think they could win nine. The key for me is, and I hate to go macro on people because everybody wants drill down. You know, we're analysts. They have five true road games. So how many true road games will they win next year? Right, five true road games. So that's the key. You have to be able to win. Yeah, three true road. Kind of look at their road schedule and think three and two. That's the goal. The schedule. Six and, one. six and one. Yeah. Yeah. BC and North Carolina. They, I mean, they, I'm you, saying you that you got to win both. Too. I'm saying you should win those two road games. North Carolina lost a ton. They lost their entire offense. You should you should go in there and win. You know, again, we don't know injury situation, right, right, right. and you don't know, I know what you're saying. any of that stuff. But just looking at it now, I'd say BC and North Carolina are the two road. If they go two and three, right? If they go two and three in those games, they're not winning nine. Two and three, you're not winning nine because you're not going to be one. Because you're not at home. You have, I mean, you've done it twice in seven years, so you can't say. You okay, think you have to win at least two of those. Yeah, okay. Those right, are right. two road games that you absolutely have to win, and then the others are what Stanford, Miami, and Michigan State. And Michigan State, which you don't know. Toss don't, up. Yeah, right we now. don't know where Michigan State. Well, it's a three and nine versus yeah. four and eight. It's we know a good, where Michigan State is right now. Yeah, they are a mess. No, I'm saying yeah, we don't know where they're headed from here because Mark D'Antonio is a very, very good coach. Right. He's not going to sit there at, at three and nine. In June, that line will be a toss-up line: Michigan State and Notre Dame. Before we know anything else, like when Las Vegas throws these things mm-hmm. out there, Stanford will be favored over Notre Dame on the road. Uh, Miami, Miami will be favored. will be favored. Uh, Notre Dame will be favored over BC, and I yeah. assume they will be a little bit favored over. But it's not going to be crazy. It'll be like eight, you can't go crazy on road on road lines like that. You're always close. Yeah, in these USC games. lost a ton, also at at home. I mean, that's a game at home. Yeah, at, yeah. But no. USC will be favored. Of, of course they will. And Notre time. Dame has... No, it can't be at home. Notre Dame has, in the last couple of years, beaten them, or last opportunities, yeah. beaten them at home. Last year, for the sake of reference, Notre Dame's over-under was nine going into the year when they did it in June. Just looked it up. So I bet Peter right at eight, coming off a four win. Eight's a good number, because yep. I think seven and a half, eight and a half... I think eight's a better number for Vegas to post. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, they agree. need to make money on right. it. I don't think yeah. they would make money at, at the halves. Right. Uh, eight and a half or seven and a half. So they are good enough to win nine games. You got it. Yeah. Right. No <laughs> problem, Mad Cap Lep. B1, B1 uh, G. Bob, how do you think Jonathan Bonner and Jay Hayes performed in the game? You think they either can pack on more weight with a new strength and conditioning program? Bonner, in particular, playing inside. He's almost 6'4", and looks to have the frame to carry another 5 to 10 pounds of muscle. I thought Jay Hayes looked very good. And I think that that's his job now. I don't. I don't see how that could be a rotation at all. Um, and it's not. It's not even a matchup. Oh, we need to get a little bit quicker. Like Jay Hayes is a powerful, he strong needs to, dude. 
he who, needs to be on the field. A, There's who no has question. Pass rush ability all yeah. of a sudden. Like Mike McGlinchey wasn't great, but it's still Mike McGlinchey, and he just beat him straight with a pass rush move in the first series of the game. Like that. That's not something I thought Jay Hayes could do. So I mean, that, that's not something we saw from Isaac Rochelle. So. You know, full credit to Jay Hayes for really getting. When, when we together. talked to him a couple weeks ago, he was insistent that he was a better pass rusher because of the way he was using his hands now, and and he was more explosive. and And I think we saw that. Now, Jonathan Bonner, I just don't see him showing up around the ball. I think he had one tackle, uh, credit with one tackle, and not everything can be, you know, tackle yeah. totals can be deceiving. We we all know that, but. I don't see him make it. I didn't see him make an impact on Saturday, and I didn't see him make an impact during the spring. I still think it would be great if Daniel Cage is good enough to start a nose tackle and Jerry Tillery can go back to the three technique, and Bonner can be a backup to Tillery. Yes, That's, and I thought Cage. Looked, I don't know if have a backup for Cage, but Cage looked okay. Yeah, um, you know, lighter on his feet than maybe in March. So that's yeah. that's a positive development, and but I, I think you still look at I mean, it. Look. It, it, Bottom line, he's got as much playing experience up front as anybody on the team. He needs to get in great shape. They need to have him on the field. I mean, he survived spring ball, so now he's got no restrictions to train really hard this summer. You're not taking any contact. There's no risk of a concussion. And then you plug Elijah Taylor at some point back in there. I do think Darnell Ewell is... To me, I look at it as like, okay, Cage, Tillery, Bonner are your top three, but then your fourth and fifth need to be Taylor and Ewell. And Ewell has a better road to that because yeah. Taylor... I know that all these injuries are the same, but it's going to be tough for Elijah Taylor to I be agree. a game-ready, Georgia-ready football player yeah. after this injury. Right, and then you got Duke Treadway, who I didn't really see do anything on Saturday. Tiasum, who was matched up with Jimmy Byrne. I mean, that's not a... That's not a, a real... It's... It's not a realistic matchup that you think, okay, well, because that happened, he can be a productive player in the fall. That just it doesn't work that I, way. I agree with that, but I, but looking at his get off, his use of his hands, and his ability to actually penetrate, it wasn't always Jimmy Byrne that he was going against or having effectiveness. Mm-hmm. I agree with everything that you're saying, but you look for the the components that may lead you to believe, okay, can he build upon this? And I thought. I thought he did enough on Saturday to say you could build upon that. And looking ahead, we have 47 questions about the defensive yeah. line that don't start, so we should we can address okay. all those guys. In there. Uh, yes, starting with Irish Instinct. Were the two pass rushes by Ade Ogundeje a fluke, or is he that good? I Neither. Oh, yeah, I mean, neither, neither I, is the word. He, he looks like a guy who's did a nice job in the weight room over the last year. And I think he's probably still a year away from, yeah, from giving you anything on a Saturday. We had a look at a practice that we only saw 30 minutes. We were up top, so the defensive linemen were right below me. One of the first notes I made in mid-March was, this guy looks like he should be able to become a player, the way yes. he moves and the way, the, he's, way. the way he's built. And I did specifically say in 2018, and I don't change that. It would be awesome if it is instead in late October yeah. 2017. But it's probably more 2019. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't four think years of he would really have to make great strides because I'm sure he was... You know what Brian Kelly says, and I think it's underrated in football, he's really good at 11-on-11 11 11 when he was talking about people. I bet that's a tough thing for guys like Ogun DJ right now to when you're in a game atmosphere play football and remember yeah. your responsibility and do all those yeah. things and be mature. And I watched him in a drill where he is just going to do the drill and he looked great, but that's yeah. nothing to he do has, with He has a good frame. He has good length. He has some athleticism. You see some quickness. All things that you could build upon. His two sacks were not like uh, Jonathan Williams' two sacks, Johnny Williams' two sacks on Montgomery Van Gorder at the end of the year. 
so the spring game two that. years ago. They were better than that, but they're not. Yeah, it's not uh, Justin Tuck right now. No. <laughs> Golden by name, red zone offense. With inexperience at quarterback, are we going to see red zone inefficiencies, or do you think the change in offensive structure, along with Wimbush's athleticism, can help hide these issues? There was a red zone inefficiency in the first half where he eventually was picked off by Watkins. They got down to the 11, first, in, first down at the 11. Uh, Tranquil got through, made the nice play. So down back at the 16. Then there's a sack, and it was back to the 26, and it was a sack because it was actually good pass protection. Wimbush held on the ball too long, and then the next pass is an interception. And that is the learning but curve that was a, of Brandon Wimbush. That, that epitomized 2016 <laughs> exactly right there. I, I felt like I was in a time capsule, but that is the <laughs> learning curve for him, so I bet uh, there could be. Yeah, I mean, it's a concern. You're thinking that Chip Long's going to run the football uh, a little bit more. The other thing, I, I don't know that anybody mentioned this, there's a lot of... The running game is more quick hitting as opposed to drawn out, and you know you allow the offensive line to do what it does. Well, it also allows allows the defensive line to do what it it does. I thought it was a lot more quick hitting that would help in the red zone. I think there's more variety to what we're seeing from Chip Long, so that you know that hopefully helps you in the red zone. Plus, you got five guys over six four and a half, so. Um, yeah, that's a nice. I mean, it, that's a know, great theory. Moment. You can't how it. How do, it's very difficult to predict how it's going to turn out in the red zone coming the next season. But there's there's potential there. One more time capsule moment. Those five guys over six four and a half. Did you see the back shoulder fade to Fink? <laughs> Shortest guy in the stadium. They threw yeah. it. To, just uh, throw Boykin, there. Just Boykin, there. Boykin had a back yeah, shoulder too. Yes. Everyone, everyone starts a five ten corner somewhere. <laughs> someone is going to be covered by a five ten corner, or you could just put the fullback uh, tight end option in there, which I freaking love and uh, is yeah. kind of all my favorite. Players and and Elze Jones should be a weapon for you in the red zone as well. They've got they've got weapons down there. They need to. They need a, a, a variety, a, a mix that that makes it less predictable than it had been. And one reminder for us and fans, I don't think Notre Dame showed their 10 best goal line and red zone plays yesterday to the world. No. They were practicing <laughs> so, on TV. Yeah. I, I think it'll look better. Right. Irish fan, 425. I was at the game and I was thoroughly impressed at the entire defensive line. Even more surprised at the aptitude, uh, or aptitude, I think, of the backups. I thought Tiasa Makwa, Ogadeja Okwara played well. What say you regarding defensive line depth? I think Tim's point about Tiasin was well taken that he, I've got to go back to the Bob Diaco thing when he spoke of Ira Hardy. He said he was so low, such a low-rated player, that now that he's competent, we see we can start making him into something. Tiasin finally looked competent when he would push Jimmy Byrne, who has never played a game, or down into the backfield. Yeah. Tiasim never once at any point in my life ever flashed until the blue goal game. Right. I think that's a good way to look at it. Because like, let's say if a player was rated a 1 out of 10 and now he's a 4 out of 10, you could look at that as he's a 4 out of a 10. Or you could look at it as he improved 300%. Um, and, you know, maybe some of both those things are true with some of these backup defensive linemen. Yeah, you know, I, Julian O'Quara, again, a good athlete, a lot to work with there, but he's physically, strength-wise, he still has a long way to go. Ogundiji, we, you know, I, I, I don't think you see him until, I mean, really, def, not in 2017, maybe 2018, probably 2019. I think if he can... Yeah, I think if he's going to be more than decent, you would see him in 2018 because he would event it would be year three. Right, But right, if he's right. only going to end up right. decent, then you're right. right. Because so, all these guys are young. They're all young with yeah. him. Yeah, I mean, Elijah Taylor's hurt. We don't 
you know that just gonna end up hurting. When 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 Tiasim <laughs> flashes once, you don't you don't conclude, oh, there's a player. No, but it's nice that he flashed. But you right, exactly. But you conclude that okay, there's something to work with. So I'm not going to I'm not going to watch Brandon Tiasim from Saturday and say, okay, now they have a player. That's just not that's just not the way it works. It's not I think they have an option, right? It, it it gives them something to work with. It also lends a little bit of credence. We joked about Brian Kelly would always mention Brandon Tiasim in a post-game practice. At least it gives credence to that because we had not seen that. I don't, I'm not saying he's not telling the truth. I'm just saying I didn't see it. Okay, Saturday we saw some. I guess I stopped taking notes when he would say that in, in those <laughs> yeah. press conferences. I realized that there was nothing we could use. Yeah, something good happened yeah. with Brandon Tiasim on Saturday. That's good. It's a good starting point. He's definitely a huge dude. Um, and they don't have a ton of those right. on the defensive line. So that's a pretty big positive. He um, sacked Wimbush with one finger. That's amazing. Yeah, that's hard to do. <laughs> and the red jersey. <laughs> if if the up, let's just say, worst case scenario, the upside of Brandon Tiasim, he has improved so much that they're able to redshirt Darnell Yule. Great. Okay. I mean, that would yeah, be fine. another name. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not that one. Because that, that name's got it. five snaps yeah. Yeah. or something. Right. You know, just... You have uh, somebody you can put in there. I'm trying to think of a good comparison over the years. Like, I, nobody is coming. They don't by. do it. That's yeah. why we always say there's always a guy, and that maybe would be great. Maybe, maybe Elko. Maybe uh, maybe Elko. I mean, does by one. the end of your early Konechuke, maybe. Yeah, you've had conversations with coaches where it's just they kind of admit after the fact it's strange that that guy didn't get to play until this point. It's I think it's hard if the coordinator doesn't want to put them in. Mm-hmm. They don't get in the rotation. Like, Elijah Taylor took to the Syracuse game where everybody played, and then he didn't play again after making plays in the Syracuse game, and then he made plays at USC. It was a weird usage situation, so maybe Elko is the guy that can find five snaps from a couple guys, and all of a sudden that helps your backups. But to summarize the question, no, we are not nearly as high on the defensive line as as you were from from Saturday. Any Davis, too, do you think we are setting expectations too high for Wimbush? The talent is undeniable, but he is his first-year starter in a new offense. I, what, what are the expectations? Well, yeah, I think we keep. That first. I mean, I think we keep talking about how good Brandon Wimbush is going to be. I, you know, we we temper it though by saying yeah, we don't know. Well, he's going to be a lot yeah. better in eighteen and nineteen yeah. than he will be in seventeen. He'll probably throw double-digit interceptions. This is what young quarterbacks do. But you know, when we see him in practice, and he's a an amazing physical athlete running strength I mean that that's who he is we don't know how many mistakes he's going to make in game situations but he's going to make a lot more in 2017 than he will in 18 and 19. Pete had a good point during the game we have to do a fair amount of over-unders here whether they're published or not on uh player stats Wimbush when he broke free and they called it a fake sack over under 3.5 for touchdown runs for Wimbush, and then Pete added in excess of 30 yards yeah. next year because that is a guy that when he breaks that first level, he's not getting eight yards. It's a lot more. Yeah, And he can make guys miss downfield, too, and outrun them. Twitter seemed to indicate that it, I, it was over by far. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not a lot of quarterbacks get a lot of 30-yard touchdown runs either, but it, yeah. it's a good call. It's, it's not... It's not Irish Illustrated that is overplaying Brandon Wimbush. The expectation on the outside will be for him to be a finished product this fall. And I I don't think he's going to be a finished product this fall, but you're excited about what the future holds. Yeah, I've, my expectations are Brandon, or Brandon Wimbush is going to be so good that Notre Dame's going to have a run-first offense. And that's going to be great. 
I think he'll be a huge playmaker this fall that makes plenty of mistakes. Yeah. And not only picks uh, and stay in the pocket too long when he's trying to look downfield and, as you said, some inefficiencies when you are, as I guess I used inefficiencies, but in the short passing game where it's not. He'll be so much better next year when he's checking down to the third guy than he was this year. So those are the things, but he will look, he'll also be on every single game's highlight reel. Right? I mean, yeah. he'll just make plays. Yeah. Yeah, there's no question about it. I think he's, he's in for a good year, but I think because he's new, that gets enhanced a little bit. I think there's a novelty factor with him that makes people maybe more interested in him than they would be sure. if it was. But your, we're your but team. we're not saying he's going to be an All American in 2017. No, by any stretch. I think he'll be one of Notre Dame's most important playmakers, and he'll make mistakes. Yeah, well, I mean, how Chip Long on. Friday of last week was talking about how he doesn't really need to be a leader necessarily. He just needs to like be part of the offense. That's not something you hear from Brian Kelly about his quarterbacks most years. It's the quarterbacks has to do everything. I think his offense is going to be suited for Brandon Wimbush to not have to do everything. I think his demeanor will provide the leadership that he, he needs to provide. And they already have two dozen captains, so you don't need another one. <laughs> Irish Grizz, 53. Walk-ons. <laughs> yeah, they're everywhere. I mean, how many linemen are captains? How would how would you rank Kramer? How would you say Kramer looked in the blue goal game to how he's looked in April practices you're able to observe? I thought to the naked eye uh, that he didn't play real well. A couple plays, you know, pass rushes stood out. When I went back and watched the game, I thought he played much better than I gave him credit for. I mean, when he... When he got guys lined up and took them one-on-one, that's a big dude to get around. Uh, run blocking, that's a big dude to get around. My, my concern with him, though, is just is the mobility factor and the ability to slide against the speed rusher. A lot better speed rushers than what he saw on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, you guys saw way more of him in practice than I did. But just watching the game, I thought he was... I mean, he's clearly the fifth of the five yes. offensive linemen. yes. Probably by a wide margin. So that you that's mean, a position that needs to be better. And you're to clarify, you mean wide margin from number four, not from yes, not from not from Eichenberg. Yeah, yeah. So that's that. that again, like Brandon Wimbush, he has not started a game, and it's, he's going to be better in the three years that follow this one than he is right now. And do you think is there any chance that based upon what they saw this spring, they bump bars back out to tackle and move Kramer inside? I don't know who I don't know if I said this to you guys, but one of if I had predictions for the summer, I would say that they would start more than one right tackle this year. That's a great. Like I totally agree with that. But that's I don't know who the other one will be. You just don't want it to be at the expense. Yeah, because of loss I mean, Eichenberg didn't didn't jump out at you uh, either. He got beat on the edge, and, and you know that's what I mean. You can have a, you can have eighty snaps, but we remember one or two because yeah, they were yeah. bad ones and they stood out, and that's that's often unfair, especially in our analysis right after the game. Uh, and even in, in our analysis of film, it isn't going to be anywhere near, you know, what Notre Dame goes through. So just wait um, till next August when we can tell you how improved the offensive line is, and they'll be the worst offensive I'm line. Sure we'll, I'm, sure we'll, uh, no. I'm sure we'll. I'm sure we'll. I'm sure we'll temper that this <laughs> yeah, year. Yeah, I think so too. But you know, it's. I do think that I, once I referenced this earlier, Brian Kelly, when he said we wouldn't, those wouldn't be game situations. I thought he was using an excuse, but it, was, it is a reason. It's a reason that Tommy Kramer wasn't moved into right position by Brandon Wimbush or by the sidelines. And the sidelines, I know we don't want to see it, but every once in a while the sidelines going to stop the play and make him check, and they're not going to be going fast. But, as Pete said, 
they were going fast early. Maybe that was what just wanted to focus on that early. If they could keep that going, he doesn't have to be fantastic. Yeah, like if they're moving the chains and they're yeah. producing in the red zone, I don't care how many times they look to the sideline. Uh, J- not Jay Tafel. Question for Pete. Bigger man crush, Bo Scarborough or Chase Claypool? Bo Scarborough. I mean, Chase Claypool has a long way to go to catch Bo Scarborough. <laughs> and I like Chase Claypool a lot, as you all know. <laughs> So. Sounds good. That's that's uh, seems fitting with it. Isn't it? That's the end of segment two. We'll come back and talk about uh, a big recruiting weekend. Segment three of Irish Illustrated Insider. We're going to wrap up the recruiting weekend. And Pete, um, as always, a big weekend for Notre Dame. Not the biggest uh, for a spring game, but. Some notable people in town. Yeah, I mean, the guys that uh, were all expected to make it, make it, made it. Uh, Kevin Austin would probably be the closest thing they have to a guy that they're leading with, the receiver out of Florida. Um, spent a lot of time with Dell Alexander, which was the key to that whole visit. Uh, I, you know, it's a, He's a guy that if he had to make a decision today, I think it would be Notre Dame overwhelmingly. Um, Chase Cota ended up making it in there. He's receiver from Oregon. Uh, interesting guy because he's... You know, certainly a lot of Pac-12 interest. Dad played at Oregon uh, and played for Jim Mora with the Saints, so he's got a connection to UCLA there. Also, his dad played for the Colts when um, Bill Polian was running that organization, and Brian Polian is Notre Dame's lead recruiter there. So, you know, to get two top 100 players out of Oregon who are both receivers would be pretty remarkable, <laughs> but um, the guy that they're definitely in it on. P.J. Mustafer, I'm... Still trying to figure out where Notre Dame thinks it stands there. Because on paper, it's like, well, you should wrap this one up. And I've, I guess I'm not sure if on paper is accurate. Um, you know, Ohio State, Tennessee, Penn State are all involved there. Um, so the, those were the big ones. And then, you know, Nazir Peoples was a real late addition. He's a Virginia Tech commit. Notre Dame's offered him. Um, I think Notre Dame's probably going to have to do some more research there to make sure the fit's all, all good. But... The fact that he visited um, after committing to Virginia Tech in February would certainly make you think that he's fairly opening to listening. And he's kind of a safety corner combo type guy. Um, you know, so be curious to see what they get out of that. And then, you know, there are a bunch of kids without offers who came in. It was I think if there was a surprise, it was that they didn't end up offering any of the guys that, that showed. Um, it is a spring evaluation period now, so these coaches are out on the road. So guys like Dominic Hampton, who I think would make sense to offer because he's a six foot two corner. Uh, he's got both in-state offers, Arizona, Arizona State, and Colorado. Is he a, a top guy? Probably not, but he's a three-star six-two corner. Um, fits the body type that they need. That would that would be one that I think if I had to pick who's the next offer from the group, that would that would be the guy. I you know Kevin Austin is rated on scout like two hundred and sixty something. I think that's off by. 170, 160 or 170 players. I think Kevin Austin is a top 100 player. He's a uh, the guy, he's a gazelle. I mean, he's a long striding, uh, very athletic wide receiver who who makes 80% of the 50-50 ball catches, stays on his feet. He's deadly in open uh, in the open field. I think he's a great receiver. I I He's listed as a four-star. I think he's got a bunch of five-star qualities. And so when you say, Pete, that Notre Dame is probably the closest to getting Kevin Austin, I think that's really good. I think he's a great player. Yeah, it's, I mean, you look at this receiver group overall with Austin, 
if he were to join with Lindsey and Micah Jones who are committed, you know, do they end up with Chase Cota? That's, that's, you could argue they would have three top 100 quali- caliber receivers uh, in that group, which would be ridiculous. Um, you know, Chase Cota is the highest ranked of that group. He's a top 50 player, and Lindsey's at the bottom of the top 100. Lindsey and Jones are also doing early enrollment. It'd be notable to say commitment. Uh, Ovia Gufu also plans to do early enrollment. Um, so that's that's something to to track moving forward. Um, you know, there will end up being five, six guys that do it. It's sort of a race to see who can fill up those slots. The Adam Malola twins both here this weekend. They want to do it. Doesn't sound like that's going to happen for them, uh, based on sort of the academic format of their high school St. Peter's prep, where Brandon Wimbush played, but. Um, I mean, overall, I think it was a productive weekend for Notre Dame in recruiting, but to say that they went out there and killed it or it was just this blockbuster group of visitors, I don't think that would be <coughs> accurate either. Now they jump into the um, the spring evaluation period. They got 12 commits, really only room for, I mean, I, they would like to get to 20, but they, even that's going to be a challenge based on their scholarship limits. So um, I think overall they, they did a pretty good job. I think top 300 is hard to do. And I, I, I agree with you completely on that being about 100 spots too low. When you look back at some top 300s, it just it, it becomes nonsensical when you get that far down. Because you get things like James Anawalu with all his athleticism, all the things he could do for you. Like when he came in, he thought safety, uh, wide receiver, running back. He played, he didn't think mm-hmm. linebacker, which ended up being great. He was 296. And Jacob Matuska, who had one chance to do anything at Notre Dame to be a high-level player was 299. They're not in the same athletic potential going well, forward realm gets, of reason. That's I mean, where it gets difficult to compare. Yeah, you that, know, that's Running what I mean. back to defensive tackle. You can exactly. compare positions, but you cannot compare running back to a guy like a power player, as Brian Kelly would say, that you're bringing in like Matuska. He's not going to – it's it's impossible to think he's the 300th or 299th best prospect if yeah. James Onowalu is three spots ahead of him. Yeah, well – that's a tangent, but, but I'm just saying that I, it's, it's. No, it's I agree. I agree with what you're saying, but when you watch Kevin Austin, yeah, no, that's why I said he, I think I he's mean, 100 spots up too. But it's it's just weird that you you know you're trying to. Why are you having Grant Blankenship 91 and Niles Morgan 34? There's Niles Morgan has 60. There's not 60 guys only in between them yeah. athletically. It's, yeah. it's, no, it's a difficult. Job yeah, it's a do. difficult thing. And, it is, and you know, a top 300, especially. We're talking about before their senior years of yeah, high school. Yeah, that makes it even harder. Even... I mean, you know, in a lot of instances, guys aren't they're not even t- totally physically developed yet. So that that's difficult. But love me some Kevin Austin, yeah. and and that would be great news if Nordam could grab him. Yeah, I mean, moving forward, this you know they had some underclassmen in over the weekend. Just to touch on um, quickly, Kenny McIntosh was one of them. Younger brother of Deion McIntosh, he's a running back athlete type from Florida who's got a ton of interest from Clemson and some other big time schools. Um, you know, his mom is on record that he'd like that. She'd like the brothers to play together. So that's good news for Notre Dame. And then Bo Robbins, a name just file away this one moving forward. He's a six, five, 230 pound defensive end from Carmel, Indiana. And, um, I think he's a, got a chance to be really one of the top players uh, you know, top defensive linemen, at least in the Midwest. And I mean that in a good way. Um, you know, there aren't always top defensive linemen in the Midwest, but I think this guy is going to be sort of your Notre Dame, Ohio State, Michigan, Stanford type of recruitment um, kid. So that's a, he was up here on Friday, the day before the game. Notre Dame likes him a lot. I, I, I guess I would be sort of surprised if they didn't offer him in the next month or so. So, 
All right, we're going to be, as we, uh, with, with spring practice ending, obviously we're going to be doing more with recruiting. Kevin Sinclair, our new recruiting analyst on board. Him and Pete Sampson will be doing a podcast a week from today, focusing strictly on, uh, on the recruiting aspect of it. And then uh, we've got the big draft coming That's up, right. right? Annual, third annual, the third and we're annual. not talking about the NFL draft. No, not at all. This is much more important. <laughs> well, that is, no, that is coming this week, <laughs> and there will be more stories from Irish Illustrated on the upcoming draft as it relates to Notre Dame, but also Notre Dame's opponents. Which, as we start to get into evaluating Notre Dame's opponents, I think it's always important to start by saying, you know, we only look at who Notre Dame lost. We'll look at Notre Dame's twelve opponents and who they lost, and some are are pretty startling, which is to the benefit of Notre Dame in the long run. But our third annual draft. But our third annual draft. Go ahead, Tim. Prediction, who is the first pick this year? This is who we mm. want to write previews about this summer. Samson, Priester, and O'Malley. What do you think? First pick. <sighs> I don't know. I think I'm going to send out some like bad info in like <laughs> the actual NFL <laughs> draft that I'm... <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm really interested in Sam Kohler, guys. I think there's a lot of, <laughs> lot of buzz. Well, up, technically, he will not be one of the players <laughs> evaluated this summer he's because he, he would have to be a write-in candidate. It's uh, We have a lot of fun with it because there really is no rhyme or reason to how <laughs> you pick the players. We do a little if, – if you've been subscribing to Irish Illustrated in the last two summers, we do each of the scholarship players and break them down and make comparisons, et cetera, et cetera. There's no benefit for choosing a good player over a, a player that hasn't established himself. You try but, not to choose someone that lands on July 4th, things like that, you know? Yeah, right, 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 because they are done alphabetically. So anyway, we probably have more fun with it than you will reading them. But, <laughs> <laughs> but let us have our fun. Well, we should still film it, I think, but that's fine. All right, well, on that note, we're out for uh, spring practice here. Irish Illustrated Insider, thanks for listening as usual. Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley, I'm Pete Sampson. Thank you. For